Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogue. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Jay Moda. He was born and raised in the Bronx, and he joined the military right after high school, serving both in the U.S. Marine Corps and the Army National Guard. Since Jay's time in the military, he has studied at NYU, Fordham University, and the American College of Financial Services and has degrees in business management, marketing, and communication. Currently, Jay has more than 20 minutes in the financial industry and is a certified financial planner with offices in New York and in New Jersey. And Jay has been heard around the world speaking on industry-related topics and financial wellness. Welcome, Jay. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you very much, Catherine. Great to be here. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with finances in a blended family, but because of Jay's responsibilities as a financial professional, we have to read the following disclaimer. So let me let all of our listeners know that the following discussion will cover general financial topics. It is not meant to provide individualized advice, nor is it meant to provide specific recommendations with regard to products or strategies. General tax information may be discussed, but it is not meant to be tax or legal advice. Listeners should consult with their own financial tax and legal advisors regarding their particular situation. Jay Moda is a licensed financial professional who is appointed by multiple companies to sell insurance and financial products. However, the views expressed during this discussion are solely Jay Moda's views and not all products and or features if discussed, including benefits and riders, may be available in all states. Jay Moda offers financial planning through Prudential Financial Planning Services, a division of Pruco Securities. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, Jay, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to say that dealing with finances in a blended family is a topic very close to my own heart because I live in a blended family and have for over 20 years. And I know that it's really complicated. So, you know, what are some tips that you have for blended families or people contemplating living in a blended family? You know, just some, some things to think about as you go into that situation. Yeah, thanks again. And so I'll say too, I am also uh, part of a blended family. And uh, interesting fact is that uh, 44% of all households contain at least one person that was previously divorced. And that actually jumps up to 55% when households contain someone between the ages of 50 and 59. So you know, a large majority of households today are blended families. And there are very unique situations when you have blended families. So some of the considerations that we discuss with families that find themselves to be blended are, you know, tracking income and expenses, understanding where each expense is coming from, where each income is coming from. And that may include alimony and or support from uh, previous spouses and any other kind of financial, you know, debts. Uh, obligations that they may have. I think that's the key thing when entering a blended family situation when you have that is to have that open and honest conversation about the money, where it's coming and where it's going and where it's dedicated to. 
And I think that's probably really good advice for any couple, you know, living together. But I think it's the kind of thing that becomes more complicated where you're dealing with different children and different family situations and different schedules. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? You know, I think that first and foremost, I think that the hardest part dealing with finances are the emotions. I know that uh, when it comes to child support issues and their debts and money can be the root of uh, all evil when it comes to relationships and cause many arguments. But when you're dealing with ex-spouses and obligations due from ex-spouses, for an example, if your spouse is receiving child support and a dispute comes about that child support or alimony, it creates you know an emotional toll on the new family because the person who's married to the spouse receiving the support has to be there emotionally for them at the same time handle their own emotions with the stress that may be coupled with that whole ordeal with the child support so first and foremost it's an emotional toll and then looking at it and trying to stay to the facts and and handling that the um, you know the money coming in yeah, I mean, I think the point is that it's emotional is a really good one, Jay. And because, listen, it's an emotional situation anyway when parents are co-parenting different sets of children with different sets of other parents not living in the household and with the schedules and the responsibilities and not to mention the payment for things, the tensions can run high even before you get to your checkbook, right? I mean, that's my experience, you know, where there's, there's resentments or there's poor communication and it doesn't always have to be this way, but that's something that you need to navigate too. And when you're also navigating money around that, not just who should pay for things or where money's coming from. But I think when you're living in a blended family and one of the member of those couples is also paying support for children that are coming in and out of the household, that can also create a bit of attention. And I know that sometimes people come to my office and they worry that their partner or their new spouse is going to be responsible for child support payments mm-hmm. for children from the first marriage or from a prior relationship. And, you know, that's all super complicated stuff. And so how do you help people, uh, Jay Moda, work through that kind of planning and, and think about it in a way that is, you know, not mind crazy making, that is more maybe sustainable? Yeah. And a lot of this, as you mentioned earlier, whether a person's in a blended family situation or not, uh, I think it all comes down to financial responsibility. And part of that financial responsibility is having a plan. I think anxiety comes from not knowing. The unknown, especially when it comes to money, creates a lot of anxiety and therefore creates stress on the relationship. So one of the things that I help clients with is create a financial plan. Ultimately, know where you are today, know all the facts of where you stand today financially, income expenses, communicating the goals with the clients. I I like to ask questions to get goals. It's amazing how many couples don't understand the other's goals. So for an example, I always joke around, I want to retire on a farm. My wife wants to retire on the beach. So we're stuck (laughs) buying a farm on the beach somewhere. Um, but it's a conversation that it's seldom happens. Acres. <laughs> exactly. So it's a conversation that seldom happens. So the best way that I can help my clients is help them identify what their financial facts are today. Likewise, identify goals in the future and then have an open conversation about how can we realistically achieve these goals. 
And I think that's the best way. Just bringing everything to the forefront and communicating those things will help ease tensions, insecurities, and ultimately the anxiety. You know, something you said earlier that I just want to add, when it comes to co-parenting, there are other factors that go into it other than like the child support. I know sometimes when you have blended families and you have children from previous relationships, other considerations are college funding, who's going to contribute to the college funding, you know, filing for financial aid, whether or not the ex-spouse or the other parent is going to be responsible financially on the financial aid form. And also when you're filing your taxes, communicating, you know, who's going to claim the child as a dependent. And if you're going to have some kind of arrangement, identifying that. And that's something that your new spouse, when you enter a blended family, has to know. Because to your point, what expectations are there financially of the new spouse, the spouse coming in, you know, that is not the blood parent for the child. So I think those are the other things that uh, I'd like to mention as far as financial concerns that you have to pay attention to with that. But most in, to answer your question, asking questions and bringing things to the forefront is the best way that I help my clients. I'm Catherine Miller, and this is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on the website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm speaking today with Jay Moda about finances and the blended family. And Jay, one thing you just said was uh, talking about college is what is the responsibility of the step-parent? for his or her stepchildren uh, in terms of paying for college. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that's a really complicated question because, you know, legally, none, right? right. Like, um, and again, this isn't legal advice, but there is no legal obligation to pay for college for one's stepchildren because there's no real actual legal relationship between uh, step-parents and stepchildren and step-families. That doesn't create a, a legal relationship. It creates a social one, but it might also create a moral one. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm certainly not going to speak as a, you know, moral superior to anybody, but you might feel that way. Someone might feel that way, that if a college education is going to be provided to some children of the family, maybe it should be provided to all, or maybe not. And uh, I think that that can create a real potential imbalance in a family and something that needs to be thought through. But in terms of the college financial aid application, I don't think it counts on the FAFSA form, but many private colleges require an, an additional form. And I always joke with people that that form basically asks for the financial information of anyone the kid ever had a play date with. And certainly the financial information of a step-parent would be relevant. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the FAFSA form, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not a college um financial aid expert, however, you know, having children of my own that have gone to college, they look at the household income where the child lives. And so, you know, if that household income, now it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can always apply for financial aid. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount that's pretty much guaranteed, but the household income is definitely a part of the whole college application. And to your point, some colleges want to know everything about the, the student uh, entering the school. But what you mentioned uh, as far as Children of the same marriage or from other marriages and previous marriages living in the household goes to something we also talk about, which is called the state equalization. And a state equalization, you know, some people may think that a state equalization only occurs after death. If I die, how much of my assets go to my children or how much of my assets go to 
the relationship that I'm now in or the marriage that I'm now in and the children in that household. Being a blended family, I have three children from a previous marriage. My wife has a 10-year-old and you know I pretty much consider her my daughter just as much as my other three children. And so she's definitely in my financial planning uh, and as I consider her to be my daughter through marriage, but nonetheless my daughter. And so when I think about my personal wealth, or if I think about my assets, I think about, well, how can I build her into that equalization? And that's a very personal decision. But you know, while they're alive, if, if I have three children that I help pay for college, the decision is, well, do I help this child from my new relationship go to college the same as my others? And you know, there's no right or wrong answer. And as you mentioned, what's morally correct or not, uh, you know, it's a personal decision. But certainly, again, it's almost an obligation that you have to kind of express what your feelings are about that. Because if you don't feel like you should be responsible nor want to be that responsible, then I think it's important you let your spouse know because your spouse may feel that, hey, we live together, our finances are joint. So when my child goes to school, then you know we're both going to chip into this. And that could lead to a future problem if one of the parents in the household feels like both are going to contribute, but the other feels like they shouldn't contribute. So creating that equalization plan and understanding up front you know, who's going to contribute to what and how it's going to occur, whether it's through a savings plan or it's going to be from other assets, it definitely needs to be considered both before and, and for after-death purposes. So speaking of after-death purposes, what are some of the estate planning concerns that you find your clients are facing when blended family situations? <laughs> so some of the concerns are, for an example, I, I like to use my own personal experience. If I own properties and uh, or a business and I have assets and I pass away, certainly I want my spouse to benefit from that. But after my spouse passes away, where does that money go? Where do those properties go? You know, most estates transfer to your spouse almost automatically, unless there's some reason, some legal document like a trust or something that prevents that. But most of our assets in our home and things will go to our spouse automatically upon death. And then those assets become your spouse's. So now when your spouse passes away, she basically has control uh, or you know, her estate will be handled however she set it up. So once you're no longer with us, then you really no longer have control of your estate or what happens unless you do some estate planning. And a lot of that is done through attorneys, uh, through the work of trusts. And there are many different trusts that cover you know many different purposes, but planning in advance and properly assigning property and or assets you know in a legal fashion so that you know if you pass away, your spouse may be able to benefit from it, and then you could still have your wishes followed up on but I think that's that's one of the legal challenges is you know when I pass away, everything goes to my wife. And if I have three children from a previous marriage, how do I make sure that my kids are now taken care of uh, and they don't get left out of, you know, the benefits when my spouse passes away? That's that's a huge problem. Yeah, I think I think that that is a big problem and that there are sort of more ramifications from that. Right. So what if uh, you're living together and if you leave everything to your spouse outright and that person remarries and might leave that money to somebody other than your kids? 
right? That's, yep. that's a concern. Um, or what if that person passes away and, you know, basically leaves Cinderella, right? So, you know, left to the devices of a step-parent and someone who might favor his or her own children, and there would be whatever understanding you thought you had during your lifetime and your partnership might not actually be what happens. And then what about after the death of both parents, you know, is the money going to be distributed between the children of both spouses equally, or is it going to go more along the lines of what each had before they got married? And how long is the marriage? Because the marriage of people who are in blended families, those people tend to be later in life, right? Closer to death, possibly, than people who are just starting out. Not necessarily, not by definition, but generally that's true. So yeah. how how are your clients handling those kinds of things, ways of, of dealing with it? What are they thinking about and how are they solving the problems? Right. So one thing I want to mention is I know that this airs in, in New York, but keep in mind, people retire in different states. And so each state has different rules and how circumstances are handled. Uh, I'll give you one example, uh, life insurance, for an example, in New York State. Let's assume you're married and you have your spouse as your beneficiary and then you get divorced and you don't update your beneficiary after the divorce, well, your life insurance policy will pay to your estate. It's important to understand that in New York State, the beneficiaries on a life insurance contract uh, are basically nullified unless the divorce decree names the ex-spouse as the beneficiary of the life insurance policy. And that really is to kind of protect people who have life insurance because they don't want, uh, you know, you get remarried and your ex-spouse gets the benefit. There have been nightmare stories about that. So certain case laws, I'm sure you know, Catherine, have changed that. So that's a key thing. But understanding property ownership, uh, different states have different laws, different probate. All of that comes into play when it comes to planning for your estate to be settled upon death. As you mentioned, when, you know, a spouse passes away and everything's left, to the new spouse, so many things can happen. I mean, you know, there could be an accident, a lawsuit. The key thing to your question is communication. And I go back to that because you have to be able to identify what you want out of life. And, and when you create a plan, so many of my clients say, well, I'm not going to die for a long time or I'm not going to retire for a long time. The reality is a plan is evolving. So you have to set some sort of agenda today, some sort of plan in place today, and you have to dig deep and think about it. And sometimes it takes a, a little while for clients to come up with an answer, but sit down and think about what you really want that to look like. How do you envision you know, your estate being handled later on if you're no longer here? And then putting that into effect through a plan. Now, if life changes, and you need to change the plan, so be it, you change your plan. But I think first and foremost, it's having these conversations amongst the couples, having the conversations with professionals like myself, like yourself, and determining what it is that you really want and making sure you set it up. I say it and it's a crude way of saying it, but once you're no longer here, you can't make changes. So it's best to be proactive and get it done before it's too late. This is Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, if you have any divorce-related issues, please give us a call in the office, 914 914- 
862-7487. I'm speaking today with Jay Moda about blended families and financial planning. And Jay, if people are interested in learning more about you or getting in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so my phone number for the office is area code 929-207-3838. You can certainly email me at uh, the letters jay.mota at prudential.com. I'm also available on the social media platforms, Facebook and LinkedIn, if you just put my name in there. Uh, You could also Google my name. I come up in various places. So thank you for that opportunity. Great. You know, as people are thinking about this and and making some changes and as they're getting older, I mean, you were just talking about, you know, you think, oh, I'm not going to die for a long time. First of all, we don't know that, right? Correct. (laughs) You know, and you see it on the news and and all the time about people who have died unexpectedly. And so it's not really something that you can put off. That's my experience. And talking with each other about I mean, these are difficult conversations. So as I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you're talking, Jay Moda, about talking with each other about what your plans are and what your goals are. And, you know, you might not disagree. And you point out that your wife wants to retire to the beach and you want to retire on a farm. So you're going to have to find a farm on the beach. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how easy is that? Right. And, and so I think people worry about having those conversations. Is that the kind of thing that you help people do? to have difficult conversations or facilitate conversations between parties who have joined finances but might not have the same idea as to how to allocate them? Yes, absolutely. It's a responsibility. There's no way that I could be a fiduciary without introducing these difficult conversations. It's never easy to discuss death. It's never easy to discuss turmoil or loss, especially when a family may have experienced that. That's always the hardest. But it's those tough conversations. I I often tell my clients, if you go to the doctor, do you want your doctor to ignore a sensitive topic because it may hurt your feelings or make you uncomfortable? If you go to an attorney, do you want an attorney not to advise you on all of the implications that may be involved in your lawsuit because they don't want to hurt your feelings? I think people want to have the knowledge. And it's a fiduciary responsibility that I hold near and dear to my heart to have those difficult conversations Whether or not it's comfortable for me or not, because it's not about me, it's about the clients. So introducing these conversations is one of my core focuses. And I really think it's a big part of the relationship building process that I have with my clients, because when they're willing to divulge information and make themselves vulnerable, that relationship I have with them is built. So I think it's very important that I bring those tough questions up and make them think about things that they may not want to discuss or, you know, think about at the time. And how do you help people think about their retirement goals and have those conversations? I mean, this is not necessarily a problem that blended families alone have. All married couples may have different views about retirement. I think it's just made more complicated by the presence of probably more children that might have been there if... It was just one marriage situation, Mm -hmm. and also the fact that retirement might be sooner in a Mm -hmm. second marriage than it is in the first marriage. What are things that people should think about in terms of retirement planning, and what should they do about taking the steps that they need to get there? Part of a relationship, I think when a relationship ends, one of the hardest things for people to deal with is change. 
you live your life in a relationship, you make all these plans. When you get married, you have all these dreams of living a long, happy life together. You create these plans, and now you're no longer in that relationship, and now you're in a new relationship, and change is very difficult. Because we mentioned earlier that blended families are usually older in age, they already have habits and and beliefs and, and goals in mind. And so when they get into a new relationship, they have less time to change uh, because they may be older, set in their ways, or have their idea of what they want. And so, you know, it, dealing with that change and uh, helping clients uh, determine what those changes are uh, and coming to some sort of agreement, like buying a, house, a farm on the beach, is one of the key ways that uh, we help our clients. Well, that's really great information. I think that blended family thing is such a complicated emotionally, financially, and uh, in so many ways. I really appreciate, Jay Modi, for taking the time to come to Divorce Dialogues and speak with us, with us about it today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me again. <laughs> 